A warning before we get started. This episode includes discussions about suicide and child sexual abuse. You already have that vibration there, so if you die... This is a video of Teal Swan's first synchronization workshop when she was 27. It's summer 2011. She's on a stage at a recital hall in Salt Lake City. There are about 20 people in the audience. She's wearing a flowy purple dress, and she's fidgeting with her mic cord as she paces the stage. This is one of the first videos she posted on her YouTube channel. In the years since then, Teal has uploaded hundreds of videos to her page. They've been viewed more than 55 million times. A lot has changed since these first videos. Like, the quality's a lot better, and Teal has gained a lot of confidence. But it's clear from these videos one thing hasn't changed. She's been saying controversial things about death since the very beginning. That's why it feels so fantastic to die. The process of dying is to say you get in a car crash. Teal just told the audience it feels fantastic to die. She says death is an immediate relief. She's gone on to say a lot more about suicide. What suicide is, is pushing the reset button. What is suicide? It's giving up completely on life. So let yourself physically give up on life by falling on the floor. When you're on the floor, I want you to imagine dying. Now here's the thing. You've been loosely and mostly subconsciously toying with the idea of suicide. You've been thinking about it, but not really consciously. This time, what I'm going to encourage you to do is to consciously imagine committing suicide. Imagine how you want to kill yourself and where you want to kill yourself. Imagine every grisly detail. Teal's message on mental health and suicide seems dangerous to some people. Teal even told me in our first phone call that her critics have given her the nickname the Suicide Catalyst. And what she says about suicide is important because some of her followers have died. In fact, Teal's client, Leslie, she was at this workshop. And nine months later, she took her life. At first, I was mostly interested in understanding how Teal's brand of spirituality influences her followers in person and online. I thought it would help me understand how the internet allows new spiritual practices to develop and spread. But I kept seeing blogs devoted to Teal's strange relationship with death and suicide. And at the center of this was Leslie. I'm trying to understand if Teal's teachings had anything to do with Leslie's decision to take her own life. I'm Jennings Brown with Gizmodo. And this is The Gateway. Part 2. Origins. Leslie Wainsgard took her life after working with Teal for about a year. But before I tell you more about Leslie's death, you need to understand Teal's spiritual evolution and why she focuses so much on suicide. Teal told me suicide was something she struggled with throughout her life. So what was her life like? Teal Swan was born Mary Teal Bosworth in June 1984. She grew up in Logan, Utah. It's a university town near the border of Idaho. Teal and her younger brother Skye were raised by hippie parents in a mostly conservative Mormon town. Teal said she was bullied. She stood out because she wasn't Mormon and because well, she was different than other kids. She said strange things. When she started going to school, being around other seemingly normal kids, 
Teal says she was finding out she had special abilities. Well, it's been like this since I was born, but I first realized that it was not normal when nobody else was reacting to things that I was reacting to. Like I'm, I'm watching an entity walk around the room and nobody else is doing it. Or else I'm starting to describe people in the room in terms of what color they are, and people are like, I don't have any idea what that means. She has much more heightened sensitivities than most people, so she was extremely sensitive to sound. Teal's mom, Bobby Bosworth, remembers those early signs of her daughter's hypersensitivity. Teal's parents declined to do an interview with me, but a few years ago, Bobby and Teal's dad, Gordon, were interviewed for a documentary about Teal called Open Shadow, the story of Teal Swan. It was made by Paola Marino, a filmmaker who was inspired by Teal. Bobby and Gordon struggled to make sense of their daughter's issues. They took her to several psychiatrists, but no therapies or pills seemed to help. So her mom decided to try Eastern medicine. Bobby took Teal to a Qigong healing center nestled in the mountains outside of Beijing. The center treats patients who have cancer, paralysis, and various illnesses. And she wrote in, and she's like, look, I know that this isn't technically a terminal illness like cancer, but my daughter's already tried to commit suicide. Like, this is, I don't know how to keep her alive, basically. And they were like, oh, that's a terminal illness, all right. And so they accepted us on the trip. Teal went to this healing center when she was 17. It's run by Wan Su Jin, a master of Qigong, which is a holistic healing method with roots in martial arts. Master Wan was featured in this PBS documentary on Qigong from 1999. Dr. Wang Su Jian is a unique example of the new generation of Qigong. He treats people who are sick by using Qigong energy healing, but he also trains them in the art of Qigong. Many of his patients and trainees are from orphanages around China. And so he has gone around the country and hand-selected orphans from all over the country that he feels have abilities, spiritual abilities, healing abilities. I was there with all of these students, and the minute I stepped off that bus, he started to explain to everyone this girl has the same abilities that all of these children that I pick up have. It was amazing. When we went to China, the one, one of the things they said is, well, they said you have a great gift, you know, you're very sensitive, and that's a good thing, but it's hard to live with. So that was great. Instead of saying you're sick or you're ill, they said you have this gift, but it's hard to live with. After her trip to China, she had to leave this tranquil healing center and go back to Logan, Utah. She had to go back to feeling like an outsider after having a taste of feeling special. Going to China was one of the best things that ever happened to me because the people who were there understood some of the stuff that I was going through and I wasn't treated like a freak from hell with a mental illness. I was in heaven and then I came back to all the abuse and it was 10 times worse after having gotten out. This is another major part of Teal's childhood that she talks about. She tells of a family friend a mentor who abused her for years. When I'm talking about all of this stuff going on and like people are clapping and I'm, I can actually see the noise and I'm hearing colors and yeah. When I've got this whole thing going on, my parents are just like, this is over our head, like way over our head. So this guy came in and he's like, it's not over my head. I, I can, I actually know what to do about this. Teal told me a lot about this alleged abuser. We'll discuss this part of her life more later in the series because it's a really important part of why people follow her. But when she got back from China, back to all the torment and back to feeling like a freak, Teal says her life was harder than ever. She said she attempted suicide again at age 18, and then she was institutionalized. Being hospitalized and all the negative experiences with psychiatrists and pills, this would fuel her spiritual work. 
Teal told me this is why suicide would become her main focus. It would shape how she would work with her suicidal followers. Followers like Leslie. The, the greatest suffering on this planet is, is suffering that happens alone. And that is suicide. That's my number one focus. Over the last year, I've spoken with Teal a few times about suicide, and she's contradicted herself. Sometimes she says she doesn't focus on suicide, but in this conversation, it's pretty clear. Teal says suicide is her number one focus, and she doesn't agree with the way the mental health community treats suicide. Their whole attitude towards you is something's wrong with you. Is that distancing or is that bringing someone closer? They've just exacerbated the problem. Their attitude is not going to be, there's valid reasons for you to feel this way. It's there's something seriously wrong. They shouldn't be feeling this way. Nobody knows how to deal with suicide. So. But Teal says she knows a better way to help people with suicidal thoughts. How to help people who are struggling like she was. This makes Teal different than a lot of spiritual teachers. I haven't found any gurus with a large following like Teal who speak so openly and often about suicide. But Teal goes at it head on. Well, the first thing is I validate where they are. That's what other people won't do. People are too afraid of it. Like the, the, the approach that everyone else takes is, let me tell you why you're wrong for feeling this way. My approach is, no, it's right to feel that way. It's right that you feel like killing yourself right now. Teal says she can validate people because she knows what it feels like and she got through it. When Teal was 19, before she was really considering being a spiritual leader, she moved out of her parents' house. She moved in with a guy named Blake. They dated for a year, but when they broke up, they kept living together. Teal has been married four times, and Blake has lived with her through all of it. He helped Teal launch her spiritual career. It all started with Teal doing healing sessions at a New Age bookstore in Salt Lake City, The Cosmic Spiral. That's where Tori McClellan met Teal. Where it all began. Wow. Cosmic Spiral, that mural. I met Tori at the yoga studio she teaches at now. Coincidentally, it's directly next door to where the Cosmic Spiral used to be. Tori's in her late 20s. Back in 2011, she spent a lot of time at the Cosmic Spiral. She'd usually go there to study. You walk in and they have um, like crystal bowls, like singing bowls, and random books on things like angel guides and stuff like that. Teal did energy healing sessions, Reiki, in a private room at the back of the shop. Oh my God, it was so precious. It became like a hub for everybody who didn't fit in, but who was into that kind of stuff. Owners of this shop, I remember them saying like, oh, you have to meet this girl that's coming in here. Um, her name's Teal. This is when Teal became a spiritual healer in early 2011. This is when she started using the moniker, the spiritual catalyst. A few minutes after they said that, she walked in the door. And she was wearing this flowing red gown. <laughs> she looked like she was like going to the opera or something. And she just walks into this, this shop and the owners of the store couldn't speak more highly of her. They literally spoke about her before she walked in as though she was like this savior that was coming to heal the world and like she was some type of otherworldly being that that was just a gift from God. Teal saw clients at the Cosmic Spiral, 
but she also met them at her home for private sessions. They were usually between one and two hours. Somebody would come over to my house and then they'd, like a typical, then kind of typical therapy session, they just sit down and say, you know, I'm having this issue, either physical or emotional or whatever. Leslie Wainsgard. She was one of the people who went to Teal's house for these therapy sessions. Leslie was working with Teal in the year leading up to her suicide. This was when Teal was just starting to work out the processes that she now teaches to her thousands of followers online and in person. But she's developed her methods a lot since then. So what was Teal telling Leslie back in 2011? Because Teal can see these things, she said she'd never seen a human being that was still in physical form whose soul was so wanting to get out of the body. After the break, I talked to Leslie's husband, John. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallerati, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant, Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Teal told me about Leslie in our first phone call. Her critics used Leslie's death as evidence that Teal is dangerous. But there were other people who were affected by Leslie's death and the attention it's still getting. I wanted to talk to people who were close to Leslie, like Leslie's husband, John Wainsgard. John is still a devoted Teal Swan follower. When I first called him to ask about Leslie and Teal, he wanted me to know he had nine of Teal's paintings. At the time he bought them, these paintings cost about $1,500 to $2,000. I went to Utah with my producer, Jessica Glazer, to meet John in person. Which one do you think it is? The yellowish one? Yellow. John the lives one. in Logan, Utah. It's the very same town where Teal grew up, but that's just hey, a coincidence. John? Hi, Jennings. Come on in. How's it going? Good. Nice to meet you. Likewise. All right. John's wearing a thick fleece button-up. He's hefty, balding with a wisp of gray hair. He lives in a two-bedroom ranch house. There are tchotchkes of different religions and spiritualities all over the place. Hindu tapestries, embroidered Christian prayers, Buddhist statues. Okay. What's this? Uh, is this your birthday? There's a birthday cake. Yeah, it's my birthday this Oh. Happy birthday. You guys would like some of that? Around 1982, John was hosting a Life Springs party at his home in Salt Lake City. Life Springs is a new-age self-help program that has since been shut down. Several lawsuits were filed against it, People claimed it led attendees to have mental breakdowns and even take their own lives. John had a different experience. It changed his life because Leslie showed up at his party. It was wonderful. We were deeply in love and we became inseparable shortly after we first met. They got married and ended up moving to Logan together. When John talks about Leslie, she sounds like a saint. She was a hospice worker and she rescued animals. She had this radar. She'd drive around and she would see animals suffering, you know, out in the cold or whatever. And I would never notice that, but she just had this radar. Wherever she went, she would always see these animals. John wasn't the only one who admired Leslie's kindness. While I was in Logan, I also met Joyce Seiler, Leslie's best friend from her belly dancing troupe. 
When I asked Joyce what Leslie was like, she told me this story. One day after class, we had gone to eat and have a girls' night out. And I was talking with Leslie in the driveway of her home. And I saw someone come by the window. It scared me to death. But at that time, I found out that Leslie cared about the homeless people. And they, they allowed a homeless person to stay in their garage during the cold and winter time. And I thought to myself, wow, she thought on a bigger scale than I did when it came to that. All Joyce saw was this charismatic, altruistic person who was always helping people and animals. She had no idea that Leslie was struggling. You wouldn't know looking at her at that time. It was, it was a year or two before I realized she had depression issues in her life. I had no idea. John says that mental illness runs in Leslie's family. I found out that Leslie tried a few things to battle her depression. She tried a few psychiatrists, one that stuck. She was on antidepressants. Belly dancing seemed to help. But then in 2008, John and Leslie moved into her parents' house in Salt Lake City. Her stepdad was sick and they were helping out. And that's where they met Teal. Not at the Cosmic Spiral or through YouTube or any spiritual group, just at a dog park near their house. It's difficult to explain what the attraction was, but I, I immediately was attracted to her. Not, not sexually, but uh, on a spiritual level. So I got to know her a little bit better. And uh, we, we became fast friends. Teal told John they'd known each other in past lives. She told me about some of her previous incarnations. Um, probably the most notable was we weren't married, but she was, you know, in the same Eskimo village where she perished. They went out on a, on a I believe it was a, a whale hunt, and she actually drowned. Teal believes in reincarnation. She says she's gone through many lifetimes, some before the Earth was created. Leslie started seeing Teal for spiritual healing in addition to her psychiatrist. John started seeing her too. They didn't just become some of Teal's first clients. They helped further her career. They sponsored her first workshop in that recital hall. They paid for the venue, about $150, and they printed and distributed flyers. Leslie took tickets at the door, they found someone to film it, and Blake, Teal's ex-boyfriend, now business manager, later uploaded the recordings to YouTube, including the one from the beginning of this episode. John and Leslie got so wrapped up in Teal's world that Joyce started to get concerned. They had moved to the spiritual group, and the spiritual group was the most important thing in their life, and that's what they were doing, very focused on that. And usually Leslie was very excited about, oh, we're dancing, and this is what I'm doing now, and every and was very, very upbeat. And she was not. She was different. So you think that group pulled her deeper into her depression? It's my feeling. But I don't see Leslie every day, so it was hard to know, but that certain seemed to be a, a change in her life at that time. During this time, Leslie was learning new things about herself. Teal has the ability to see things that you and I do not. And uh, so she would sit down and, and meet with, with uh, Leslie and uh, try and, and get her in touch, you know, with some of uh, her suppressed memories. When John says suppressed, he's talking about a concept in psychology called repressed memories. It's basically the idea that when you experience extreme trauma, like sexual abuse, your brain can hide that memory from you to the point where you had no idea that it happened. This is an extremely controversial idea in psychology. Most mainstream psychologists say that there is no evidence that our brain represses memories. 
In fact, many psychologists believe that when therapists work with patients to recover repressed memories, they're actually planting false memories. Recovering memories from childhood is an essential part of Teal's therapy, and it's something we'll talk about more in a later episode. But I've noticed this trend, that when people do Teal's healing methods, some people believe they are uncovering these very traumatic memories, like sexual abuse, a lot of times involving their parents. As far as Leslie, what you should know is that according to John, Teal helped her uncover new events from her past. Leslie's memories of her biological father were getting darker. That's how we really got in touch with the fact that her biological father had repeatedly sexually molested her as a child. Leslie had pretty much blocked all of her knowledge of that, and Teal helped her get in touch with that. Leslie's birth father died several years ago. John says that Leslie's mom denied that he abused her. We weren't able to reach her mom for comment. But uncovering these new memories of abuse, that wasn't the only thing that was affecting Leslie's emotional state. She really wanted to get off of antidepressants, and I believe one of the reasons was because she wanted to be able to develop spiritually as well. More on this after the break. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? I'm sitting on a couch in John Wainsgard's living room. He's been telling me about his late wife, Leslie, and her work with Teal. In 2011, as Leslie was working with Teal, she was uncovering what she believed were repressed memories of her biological father sexually abusing her. How long was, was Leslie seeing Teal before she realized that she, where she was able to work with these dark memories? I'd say it was probably about four or five months well, Leslie really started, these things started really coming to a crisis with her. And and because Teal can see these things, she said she'd never seen a human being that was still in physical form whose uh, soul was so uh, wanting to get out of the body. She commented to me uh, and to Leslie, she said, I've never seen a human being that's still alive whose soul so badly wants to get out of the body. You make it sound like Teal knew that she wanted to end her life. Well, she but, knew that her soul wanted out of that body. So where do you draw the line between her knowing that Leslie was going to going to um, end her life and her being a part of it? You know, all of us have free will. And that's the one thing that God is adamant about is that every person has free will. And uh, again, in Leslie's case, you know, she has free will and, and Teal couldn't say, you know, stop or say, hey, don't do this. You know, this is a bad thing. Don't do this. Free will is something I've been thinking about a lot as I report this. 
A lot of people think that we should be able to choose when we die, especially when we're old and in pain. But what about when people are suffering emotionally? And what if somebody is influencing their decision? First, I heard that Teal told Leslie she had to commit to life or not. John told me that Teal said Leslie's soul wanted to get out of her body. And then I found out that as Leslie was working with Teal, Leslie was recovering what she believed were repressed memories about her biological father molesting her. On top of all this, Leslie was trying to wean herself off the antidepressant Paxil. Leslie was experiencing negative physical side effects of the drug. She had tried to get off Paxil once before, but Leslie's psychiatrist talked her into getting back on it. Then, a few months later, John says she tried to get off the medicine a second time, and that can be dangerous. Research has shown that the drug is associated with an increased risk of suicidal behavior. I mean, Paxil is, is the worst antidepressant to get off of. And she became, once she, once she got off them, she became literally catatonic. She would just lay in bed all day, and she was, she was, she was losing weight. She couldn't, she couldn't eat. John says Paxil played a part in Leslie's death. I can't know for sure. But I do know that if you're getting off a powerful drug like Paxil, you need to do it carefully and consult with a medical professional who understands how to mitigate the withdrawals so it doesn't make you feel worse or suicidal. Leslie was likely trying to wean herself off Paxil for multiple reasons, but one reason may have been her spiritual awakening. John had been on antidepressants, and Teal told him it was getting in the way of his self-realization. She encouraged me to get off. I, at one time I was on using antidepressants and she encouraged me to get off of those. Um, they really suppress your emotions. And I think it's very difficult, I'm not going to say impossible, but very difficult to, for anyone to achieve spiritual uh, self-realization being on antidepressants. So I asked John if Teal had also discouraged Leslie from taking medications. And, well... John didn't recall if Teal had given Leslie that advice. But he did say this about Leslie's decision to get off Paxil. She really wanted to get off the antidepressants, and I believe one of the reasons was because she wanted to be able to develop spiritually as well. Teal told me she didn't think the pills were helping Leslie, but she says she didn't tell Leslie that. Either way, as Leslie was getting off antidepressants, she was grappling with what she believed were memories of her birth father molesting her. John knew that Leslie had considered ending her life. She had brought it up to him. I, she had talked about it, and I, I really encouraged her not to do it and asked her not to do it. And uh, she came to me one, one, the last night. I, I think I was watching TV or something, and she came in and said goodnight and gave me this kiss. And it was cold. At the time, they both lived in a small basement apartment in Leslie's mother's house, but they were sleeping in separate rooms. John says it was because Leslie worked odd hours at her hospice job, and he was also having health problems. And then uh, there she went and took a bunch of uh, pills and then went to bed. And then when she didn't wake up the next day, I went, you know, finally started to shake her and found her body rigid and cold and went into complete hysteria. Leslie kissed John goodnight around 10.30 p.m. on May 19, 2012. It was a Saturday night. John finally checked in on Leslie on May 20th, around 5.30 p.m. the next day, 19 hours later. That always stuck out to Leslie's friend, Joyce. If you were so worried about somebody, if they were so deep in a depression, would you not go in and, and check to make sure they were breathing and they were okay? 
but it is my understanding that when John went to check on Leslie, she had been gone for quite some time. Did he check on Leslie close enough? And obviously living with her, did he watch over and guide her and look out for her best interest? And Joyce wasn't the only one who was concerned. John told me that Leslie's mother and stepsister accused him of murdering Leslie for her insurance money. I asked Leslie's stepsister to comment. You know, I know that John said that y'all were, um, things were not smooth, to say the least. No. <laughs> and he, he said that, not to mince words, but he said that Leslie's family accused him of killing her. No comment. If that was the case, that people felt that way, would you want somebody to investigate that? I did. What do you mean? The police were involved. The Salt Lake City Police did investigate Leslie's death. On Leslie's bedside table, the police found a legal notepad that had instructions for her bills and finances and a several-page letter to her love, John, her husband of 27 years. The note said the pain was too great for her to cope with. The police determined she died by suicide. John told police that just two days before she took her life, Leslie had asked him if he would be okay if he found her dead. But it didn't register that she was actually going to do it. I mean, I, I, just, I really do not believe that she was at that point. I mean, if I had known, I might have had her committed or something. I can't say for, for sure about that. But, but if, if somebody's determined to take their own life, there's nothing you can do to stop them. They will find a way sooner or later. So even if she'd been committed for, for two or three days, and when she got out, she would have still found a way. We can't know if hospitalization would have worked for Leslie, but it does help a lot of people who are having suicidal thoughts. John's position echoes what Teal said in the Santa Fe workshop. And so we had that very serious sit-down talk where we had to say, all right, we're either committing or not committing to life, because every time I gave her a suggestion, she'd stop in two days doing the suggestion. So then we have to ask the question, do we really want this to work? And what's interesting is when she asked herself that question, the answer was no, I'm done. So there's nothing that any healer could ever do for that type of vibration. There's nothing any healer could do? That line still baffles me. It seems careless or egotistical. How did Teal know that nothing else could have helped Leslie? I started to get more direct with John about how much influence Teal had on Leslie. But when I tried to get details about when Leslie had started to wean off Paxil, whether it was before or after she started seeing Teal, he stopped me. Before we run out of time here, I want to emphatically state that I have intimate knowledge of the circumstances around my wife's death and that Teal had absolutely nothing to do with this whatsoever. I ran through everything I had learned back to John. Teal had helped Leslie uncover memories of her birth father molesting her at a time when she was already depressed and getting off antidepressants. And then Teal had told her she needed to commit to life or not. But John insisted that Teal had nothing to do with Leslie's death. The fact that Teal's critics use Leslie's suicide against her makes him mad. And John hasn't been in touch with Teal for a few years. Teal did some private sessions with John to help him with his grieving after Leslie's death. But he can't afford to go to her workshops anymore. Regardless, Teal still looms large in his life. Down here, this is where most of Teal's paintings are. There's a couple here, too. John showed off a stack of paintings leaning against the wall in his bedroom. Teal calls them frequency paintings. 
They look like a neon kaleidoscope. Teal says they change the frequencies around you so they can manifest things in your life, like making you richer or curing a disease. I see. So all the all the paintings, you know, how do they end up there? Well, I just when we moved in moved in here, I just put them over there where they'd be safe. They're still they're so close to your bed. It seems like a special place that you can look over and see them all. Well, that's true. I mean, I, in the past, my first apartment, well, my second apartment uh, down in Salt Lake, I, I had them all put up, and I used to had most of them in my bedroom. I used to look at them all the time. Then when I moved to Layton, I didn't ever put any of them up because the woman that I was seeing at the time didn't didn't like Teal's artwork. And why not? Jealousy. She's extremely jealous of 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 Teal. Why? Because the the amount of success that Teal has uh, experienced. He hopes he'll get to see Teal again someday. I yearn to always be around her because it's always a profound experience. And, uh, you know, I hope to still be able to uh, at least spend one more day with her um, or at least an hour. Like she usually, cause she, she has such tremendous demands on her time now. Beyond wanting to be near her, John still sees Teal as some kind of a savior. I believe at this time the world desperately needs someone like her to... Uh, not only help people heal, but to assist them in their lives. You know, there are a lot of people out there, you said, that are hurting and looking for answers, and and I, I think she has the capability of, of doing that. Of course, there's no way to know exactly how much Teal helped or hurt Leslie in those sessions. So I needed to understand how Teal's therapy works and what kind of influence she has over her followers now. I needed to see Teal's therapy in action. Next time on The Gateway, we head to Teal's Retreat Center in Costa Rica, where we'll meet some of the people who have left their lives behind to live with Teal and build her online empire. Oh, this is a treacherous road to get down. I feel like it's like Jurassic Park. Buenos dias. Hi, this is Jennings, the reporter. I want you to imagine that you're dead. So we're all gonna get suicidal for a moment. I actually experienced my own death. It wasn't thinking about it, it was actually living it feeling it. I feel so alone. So what's happening here is possession. But it's 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 intentional possession. Please, buddy. The thing that I'm learning most from her is <laughs> Do you know what's going on over there? No, well, someone's just in a part. <laughs> See, this is triggering you. This is yeah. a good this is yeah. a good time for you to actually do a process. I have to say it seems like kind of playing with fire almost. Yes. Yeah. I'm not afraid of that. That's where you get the best stuff. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, you can speak with someone by confidentially contacting the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Both provide free, anonymous support 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You've been listening to a Gizmodo podcast, hosted by me, Jennings Brown. The Gateway is produced by Jessica Glazer and Emily Pontecorvo at Fusion Media Group, and edited by Barry Finkel of Pineapple Street Media. Additional production help by Levi Sharp and Mitra Kaboli. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Editorial oversight by Kelly Bourdais. Original score and mixing by Hannes Brown. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman, Mario Aguilar, Marina Galperina, and Susie Banacarum. 
audio from the film Open Shadow, the story of Teal Swan, courtesy of Aquamarina Productions and director Paula Marino. If you have any information you'd like to share about Teal Swan, please email us at thegateway at gizmodo.com or leave a message at 315-888-1654.